Listening to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM, broadcasting from UBC's campus on the unceded and traditional Musqueam territory in Vancouver. I am your host, Saira, and I am really happy to be back. We had to take a break during summer due to COVID because, you know, we report on art and art was not happening during summer because everything was either delayed or canceled unfortunately but things are starting to pick up ba- pick back <laughs> wow things are starting to pick up again and this like they have live streams and in person shows so we're here to tell you all about it um i just want to start off by saying that i am really excited for this year because um I w- you will be hearing a lot from me. Lua is unfortunately not able to contribute as much, but that's that's totally fine because I'm here and I hope you like my voice because that's an important part. If you don't, hey, um you'll get used to it. <laughs> um first, uh we're going to start with an interview with Jesse Anthony, who is the director, screenwriter and the producer of the movie brother i cry which is which you can stream on uh, vancouver international film festival right now enjoy hi everyone this is sara i'm with jesse anthony today who has her feature film being played on vancouver international film festival um hi jesse thank you for joining me today um hello could you thanks for having me of course (laughs) Could you introduce yourself a little bit so that our audience knows who they're listening to? Absolutely. Sego uh, Swagwego. My name is Jesse Anthony. I am from the Onondaga Nation Beaver Clan from Six Nations of the Grand River Territory in Ontario. Uh, but I currently live, work, play, and create on, on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, uh, Tsleil-Waututh, and uh, Squamish peoples. Uh, I am a filmmaker. Uh, Writer, director, producer, recently graduated from Capilano University and the Pacific Screenwriters Program. Um, just that was back in March before COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I am the writer, director, producer of Brother I Cry. That's amazing. Um, before we delve into the questions I have for you, I just want to say um, congratulations for winning Best Emerging Filmmaker and thank you thank you thank you that's i'm over the moon with that so thank you so much yes that it must be amazing because you just say you graduated in march right so it must be amazing to win an award like this right after graduation well 
I, you know, I, I graduated film school over a year ago, mm-hmm. um, but I graduated uh, from the Pacific Screenwriters Program in March. Yeah. And so with COVID and everything, absolutely. Just anything with the movie finally being finished and put out there. I was, I was so unexpected and blown away. Like I'm, again, I just like, I'm so over the moon because I just was not expecting such an honor. Yeah. Um, really happy for you. Um, to start off, would you like to tell us a little bit about Brother I Cry? Sure. In in what aspect? (laughs) Um, (laughs) what it's about generally, like, uh, little idea about what the movie is about without giving away too much, you know? Sure, yeah. Um, the story is about two Indigenous siblings who struggle through intergenerational trauma and who are um, spiritually connected um, over a series of events. Uh, Ava tries to save her brother John from, you know, his his lifestyle. And um, I don't know how else to describe the rest of it without giving it away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> that's basically it. That's basically it. Um, it's just talking about the relationships between siblings, Indigenous community, uh, within Indigenous families, and um, actually roles and responsibilities within families, period. Mm-hmm. That's universal. Um, that's what it's talking about. But it's also very specifically written for for my brother. It's a message to my brother. So. Oh, that's really nice. Um, okay, so now that we know what Brother I Cry is a little bit, what it's about a little bit, I want to ask, you said you directed, you also wrote the screenplay and produced this movie. Um, So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your process of doing all of these. Like, for example, did you have a clear cut vision going into this project? And if you did, is the end product like what you had imagined? Um, so there's always, there's always three stories. There's going to be, you know, the, the screenplay, the, the stuff you shoot and then the edit. Mm-hmm. So, um, this story came about in my second year of I, the indigenous independent filmmaking program. Um, I had a dream about my brother overdosing and coming to me and asking me to find his body. And so when I woke up, I was super scared, um, knowing that this is a reality, knowing that I'm afraid my brother is going to overdose. I'm afraid he's going to die. Um, And so I had to write this project and I thought, I'm going to write about this. I'm somehow going to try and articulate this on on paper. I got 18 pages down. I took it to the teacher and she kind of was like, nope, 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 nope. Took out a bunch of stuff and brought it down to six pages because one, there was no money, no money. And two, how could I shoot 28 different locations? <laughs> so they were bringing me back to reality and with how to shoot it. But um, in in six pages, I was able to produce my short film for school. Mm-hmm. And it was only ever, I've only ever done school, like school projects, nothing mm-hmm. outside, right? And it was, it was six minutes of something pretty important I think Mm -hmm. and so I had submitted it to one film festival LA Skins it got in I don't know if people knew how to take it or how to read it but I used that graduating film cut it up into a trailer and I always knew I was gonna apply for talent to watch so Mm -hmm. I I did that with the help of um 
with the help of few people. Um, they helped me put the, the package together, um, edit it, you know, pitched it, all that kind of stuff. And we got selected by Telefilm. And at the time, they only had nine applicants, but I was one of two uh, across the country that was chosen mm -hmm. for a talent to watch. So Doreen Manuel calls me up, and she even kind of psyched me out where she was like, you know, sorry, you didn't get it, but then she was just kidding, you got it. Like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> so right away, you know, I was trying to onboard produce, or I had a producer at the time, but um, she unfortunately had to leave. Um, she helped tremendously within the pitching and whatnot. Her name is April Johnson. Um, and uh, unfortunately, yeah, she had to step off the project. And so I kind of was going, okay, well, I, I need to find another another producer. I did search around. A few people come to jump on the project, but also were led in different directions as far as work. And I didn't want to hold them back because we weren't very certain with what was going to happen. So my cinematographer, he has a production company and, you know, he was going to help mentor who was going to be in that position anyway. So I just asked him, well, what if we just produced it? Like, what if we just go ahead and produce it? Mm -hmm. um, so we did. And he was my executive producer and I was a producer and he was really great. Uh, but we needed a script also. That was the other thing is I didn't have a script yet. Yeah. So I worked my butt off. I went through the Tricksters and Writers program with women in film and television um, with a beat sheet I had already created. So I was able to break it down in there and have it read back to me. Um, had a story editor, Zoe Hopkins from Six Nations, who came on and helped with structure. Um, and I did get to a draft 11, but I ended up going back to draft 7 and mm -hmm. going, this is the one that we're shooting. Um, with the help of my actors. So with with that, my process was really just, um, it was a bit slow, but I was learning and I was on other projects. I was, you know, doing other projects. So it, I had to do it in the times that I had. But when it came down to the writing, that process was beat sheet. How do I, all right, this is just like I'm telling a story to my cousin or this is a story like I'm telling this person. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to write down, the main themes and then all the beats in that. So I did that. I did 10 pages of it. And then I went back and I did all of the dialogue. And then I just kept kept doing that, kept adding things in, right? Yeah. Um, got help with a little bit more funding. We got BC Arts Council funding for $25,000. Um, you know, just had a lot of amazing people help me on the way, whether they whether they were there for a week or a phone call or six months, like there was just so many people that contributed to making it happen. And then finally it was like, okay, we need to cast it. And I had an idea who I wanted. Uh, I already knew that I would have Ava, the sister. She was in the short film. I knew mm -hmm. she was going to be in this one because representation for me too. Like, yeah, I want an indigenous person in this role, but I want somebody that looks like me, you know, somebody that's little light skin, light eyes, you know, like just from where I'm from. I, it was really important that, and I, and I love her. She's an amazing actress. So I wanted to really represent her in, in this project. And then Justin Rain came on board and I was just like, okay let's let's you know all the actors I brought on board were prepared they did their homework they mm -hmm. showed up you know especially Justin like he worked hard and they you know they really brought those characters off the page Jay Cardinal Villeneuve playing the bad guy you know he just 
he brought it to life. I didn't even have him in mind at first. I wanted somebody else. And the moment he gave me his self tape, I was like, that's, that's Martin. Nobody else. (laughs) You just, it was a feeling. I just knew it was him. And they just tied everything together so nicely. So I don't know if I'm answering your question, but each, each category and each segment, I guess each part of the process rippled into the other and you just you know you go with it you learn you you be accountable you you know ask questions you just that's all I had to keep doing was just I prayed that was ultimately the biggest part of everything every day was praying praying (laughs) which is creator in my language that this story would find its place and that the right people would come to it cast and crew and that you know, it, it would it would have its purpose and that it would have a purpose. And I just can't I'm gonna cry because <laughs> I just can't I just can't believe where it's at. Yeah. It's- and I can't and I'm I'm so over like I'm so overwhelmed with gratitude with all of the comments that people are sending, you know, of letting me know what the movie has done to them already or how they feel about it or oh, it's magical. That it's uh I mean I can see how passionate you are and hear it I mean um it's amazing thank you that was an amazing answer honestly also I'm uh, sorry no 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 it's okay I was gonna say I'm sorry that I asked such a question that made you emotional um yeah um I okay I was just wondering, um, similar to this question, you worked in a lot of different positions before directing this movie, and you've also directed a documentary, right? Um, but this is your, like, your first feature film that you've directed yourself. I was wondering, how was this experience of directing this feature film different from your previous experiences in the industry? Well, I've never done anything else really in the industry. Everything I did was a school project. Like everything Mm -hmm. I've done was I had to deliver it for a mark, right? Like it Mm -hmm. was just, yeah, it was a a school project. Um, So there wasn't as much pressure on it. It was just I was learning and I was just so, okay, well, if I mess it up, I mess it up. Not a big thing. Um, Worked in a lot of other positions as far as being like assistant director, um, you know, uh, producing uh, smaller story high projects or uh, not smaller producing story high projects where I didn't have anything to say in the creative aspect of it. I was there to make sure, you know, everybody was safe and everything was getting done and that kind of, in that kind of form, <coughs> excuse me. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so this project being the first thing was I'm making sure that I knew, um, I guess really just creating a relationship with my actors and knowing that, um, yeah, there had to be a trust there. They're, they're, they're creating that trust to say, you know, I know, I know what it is I'm trying to say. It's written on the paper, but now let's get, now let's get those emotions out there. Let's, let's, I don't know. They did all the work. (laughs) They did all the, they did all the work. I mean, that's, I always say that's the question I think for the actors to know how they felt about that process with me as a director. You know, I know for me, there were certain things I had to stand up and ask for. And I always kind of bring it to the fact that I worked with Eric Schweig and he's like a vet, like he's 
he is an OG of, of acting. He's worked with the big guys like Daniel Day-Lewis and he agreed, you know, he wanted to be a part of my project and I'm so thankful for him for doing that. Mm-hmm. But he, he had questioned, he questioned me on things and I got, you know, either I was going to be intimidated, which I a little bit was inside, <laughs> like, oh no. Or I had to stand up for my vision and say, this is why, this is why I need this to happen. And he allowed that experience and it made me go, no, I need to let him know. This is why, this is why I believe that, you know, instead of throwing the broom down, I need him to set it down. You know, mm-hmm. there's re- there's real subtleties that are up to me to come across based on, on that vision I have. So it's learning to be completely honest and vulnerable and open with your cast too, like what it is that we're trying to do. And that's what I could think of. And really having conversation with my cinematographer like our collaboration you know we were soft prepping this project for over over a year Mm -hmm. and then we went into hard you know and then as we got closer probably about three months closer to the project we were really starting momentum and talking and we talked about um each scene and then when we got into hard prep we would stay up and like sit at the office and go through all the scenes and all the shots and what they represented and what they mean and why we're doing it this way. And, you know, we really didn't want to do just master coverage, coverage, medium shots. You know, Mm -hmm. we wanted, we wanted shots that didn't match. We wanted really long push-ins, really long, really just wanted to play and find different, places in the world and Andy Hodgson allowed me to be creative and he brought a lot of creativity to it too as well as his cinematography like his his vision for painting with lights is mm-hmm. just it's so beautiful that's that's great to he, hear yeah he was able to create the tone in a way that I am like that's exactly like, you're like okay <laughs> that's what I'm yeah that's yeah he was really great to work with that's so nice. That's that's great. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. Before we end, I just want to remind everyone that you can stream Jesse's first feature film that won her an award, uh, Brother I Cry, on Viv's website until October 7th. But I do recommend being fast because tickets are selling fast, um, which is amazing. Um, thank you so much, Jesse. Is there anything you would like to add or mention? Um, yeah, we have just been announced. We will be in our next festival. Um, we'll be at the Imaginative Festival in uh, Toronto. Mm-hmm. So for anybody in Toronto who wants to wants to catch it there. Uh, but I suggest you catch it at Biff while it lasts. And yes. um, I'm just really thankful for anybody who does watch the movie uh, to understand that, you know, we are all part of we are all, it's really corny to say, but it's like, we are all love. And yeah. this particular issue about the opiate crisis isn't about race, isn't about countries. It's about people and it's yeah. about the people we love. And I think if anything, what I want people to take away from it is that you're not alone and that there are people out there who know exactly what you're going through and we need to talk about it. Yes. Well, thank you so much. That's an amazing note to end on. Um, Have a lovely day. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Discorder Magazine has been supporting local music for over 30 years. Thanks to the long-term support of the Rickshaw Theatre, Discorder lives.
Favorite bands are playing at the Rickshaw Theater. Check out their calendar just behind the cover of Discord or Magazine or at rickshawtheater.com. If you are sick and have contracted COVID-19, the BC Center for Disease Control recommends staying home from work, school, and away from other public places. If you must go out, avoid using any kind of public transportation, ride-sharing, or taxis. Monitor your symptoms carefully. If your symptoms get worse, call your healthcare provider immediately. Get plenty of rest. Stay hydrated. If you have a medical appointment, call the healthcare provider ahead of time and tell them that you have or may have COVID-19. For medical emergencies, call 911 and notify the dispatch personnel that you have or may have COVID-19. Cover your coughs and sneezes. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds, or clean your hands with an alcohol-based hand sanitizer that contains at least 60% alcohol. As much as possible, stay in a specific room and away from other people in your home. Also, you should use a separate bathroom if available. If you need to be around other people in or outside of the home, always wear a face mask. Avoid sharing personal items with other people in your household, like dishes, towels, and bedding. Make sure all personal items are cleaned with general cleaning products after use. Clean all surfaces that are touched often, like counters, tabletops, and doorknobs. Use household cleaning sprays or wipes according to the label instructions. Hello, hi, I am back. Um, speaking of COVID, I just want to say um, the station is closed right now, but I am recording this show from inside my closet. I am genuinely sitting on the floor of my closet. If you want to see it, check out check out check out our Instagram. It's Arts Report C I T R. And also, <laughs> talking about that, our, our Twitter too, it's CITR underscore ArchReport. I post very cool stuff. Okay, so let's jump into a review of Kokoro Dance, which is a dance company here in Vancouver. They have amazing stuff and they had live streams for Vancouver International Dance Festival, which is happening right now. I'm going to talk about the festival a little more in detail later. Uh, but right now, it's time for Kokoro Dance. So, um, the live stream was the show called Reading the Bones of Kokoro Dance. And so, I'm just gonna um, read what Reading the Bones was. Basically, it was a performance piece where they threw the bones of past choreography onto the stage to see if these favorite mo movement sequences still have significant outside of their original historical context. And but what they mean by this is that basically they had four dancers, which were um, all of them were from different generations of Kokoro dance. And it was really cool because um, they basically danced from like excerpt from their own generation's Kokoro dance. I don't know if this is making sense, but if you go to vidf.ca and look at um, Kokoro dance, then you'll get more information much better than I can tell you, honestly. 
Um, okay, so what I want to talk about this is that they absolutely nailed it. It was amazing. I just want to say I've uh, honestly never I've never watched a performance by Kokoro Dance because I've always <laughs> been pretty scared. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, mostly because if you've been listening for a while, then you would know that I tend to get scared um, from very serious slash overwhelming dance shows. This happened, <laughs> I think, last year or the year before that. I think it was, the, yeah, it was the year before that. Not last year, but the year before that in Vancouver International Dance Festival, Lua and I went to a dance show and I cried and I didn't even know why I was crying honestly it just woke something inside of me like from something from my unconscious just woke up and made me cry and so I've been always a little intimidated by Kokoro dance not gonna lie but I was like hey this is not in person it's a live stream so I might as well give it a try because uh, you're in the comfort of your own home so literally if I get scared or intimidated or if it's overwhelming for me I can just turn it off and I'm good to go right of course I didn't do that I watched the whole thing and it went by really fast it was an hour long and it actually felt like 10 minutes uh it was amazing I don't know what to tell you okay so what what stuff I want to say um, what I realized in the beginning was that, so there were four dances, right? And they were positioned like a square, I want to say. And they were all on their hands and their foot, like on all fours. And as soon as they started, I was like, yep, this seems like Kokoro dance. <laughs> and I don't know what you would understand from that but in my opinion that was amazing because they have their own identity and that is just this the the second they started dancing i could tell what kokoda dance was about and okay so the dancers they were amazing as i said they were four different generations so there was quite an age range which I felt was amazing. They were all giving 100, 200%. And they were all amazing dancers. I just, I really wish that the show, like the performance was longer so that I could watch them for longer. Um, but, you know, that's difficult. Anyways, um, what I want to say next is that... There were, like, I think paint. There was paint on their face, definitely. But I am not sure if they actually had paint in their hands and their feet, too. But I realized um, at some point in the live stream that the floor actually had footprints and their handprints. Which I thought was very cool because you got to see, you know, where they've been because they've been moving, right? Also, talking about moving... Um, they had this cannon type of movement. It wasn't necessarily a cannon. Okay, if you don't know, a cannon is basically when in a dance, the dancers do the same movements, but not at the same time. So basically, let's say um, dancer A starts at 1, and while dancer is at movement 2, dancer B starts at 1. So it goes like 
one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three. I don't know if that makes sense, but basically that's that. And they had um like canon type of movements. It wasn't definitely it wasn't totally a canon, it was similar, which I thought was pretty interesting because they still had that vibe of doing the same movements but not all of them were doing it and also it didn't last for that long so it wasn't like a full canon either i don't think at least that's what i thought um <laughs> oh wow i feel like this is all over the place i'm sorry if i'm going too fast or i don't know anyways um like similar to canons it's not actually that similar but i love it when dancers different like all of the dancers do different movements i absolutely love it when i look at the stage and i don't know which dancer to look at i don't know something about that is just very amazing to me um and they definitely had those here there were there was some point where I was looking at this one dancer and then I realized that they weren't doing the same thing and I looked at the other one I'm like oh no I missed the other two what am I gonna do but that's you know that that's the great part about these not everyone has the same experience maybe you were looking at dancer A and I was looking at dancer B apparently we were you know entranced by the different different movements and different dancers um but yeah I thought that was amazing and also with because it was a live stream it was quite easy to know what to focus on <laughs> because basically they had four cameras and I think I don't know which one of them did what but um basically because there were four cameras um we were able to see the dancers up close and this is something you can't do if you're watching a dance show live. You can't just go up to the stage and be like, hello, I'm here to watch you. <laughs> that would be creepy and wrong and they would kick you out. Um, but here, it was pretty great that you were able to see the dancers' emotions and their faces or um, just the movements up close. It felt very personal. And I think that added to the dance itself a lot. Um, but yeah, so I really enjoyed the live stream. One thing I would like to mention is that if you're going to watch a live stream, do it in a dark room. <laughs> because it was 4 p.m. when I watched it and it wasn't dark outside yet. So naturally, the room wasn't dark either. And to be fully honest, it didn't feel like I was watching a live show. It just felt like I was watching a dance, like a dance video on YouTube, which is not the vibe that you're going for when you're watching a live stream from VIDF. Um, so I would definitely recommend being in a being in a dark room and also leaving your phone in a separate room if possible because I feel like it's really easy to get distracted. Um, depending on your, on how good you are at not being distracted. I personally can get distracted really easily, especially by my phone, because anytime I get a text or a notification, I'm like, okay, I have to check that right now. Um, also, okay, talking about this, with Kokoro Dance, I did not do that. I was so amazed and 
so pulled in by the dancers that I even forgot my phone existed, which is very difficult nowadays considering that we basically live with our phones. Um, but yeah, it was just amazing. Um, okay, um, something I really would like to mention is nudity, which is, I feel like, a common theme across Kokoro Dance's dances. Oh, that was funny. Anyways, <laughs> um, because, um, yeah, it's nudity happens, it's natural, and I love how Kokoro Dance is very unapologetic about this subject matter. I applaud them for this. They could get a lot of backlash for it, but you know what? They do art, and n not all art is for everyone, and so the people who enjoy their art watch their art, which is amazing. So, um, yeah, just to mention, if you don't like nudity, slash if you're not comfortable with it, I wouldn't recommend... Um, watching this although i think all of their performances are done so look out for the next uh kokoro dance performances um but yeah they okay what i mean by nudity is that at the end of the the show they basically took off their um dresses and they were they only had their underwear on and by underwear i mean their boobs were out <laughs> so honestly there was one of them was sweating a lot I sweat a lot so I felt connected to that person so when she took off that dress I felt so good for her and so happy for her because that feeling of taking off that sweaty clothing item off of you is the best feeling ever <laughs> but yeah anyways um I feel like this review has been all over the place. I'm sorry about this. I'm just, you know, I haven't been doing reviews in three months, so I will get back into it. Don't worry. I'll be get, I'll be back on my groove. But yeah, what I want to say is Breaking the Bones by Kokoro Dance for VIDF was amazing. You could see the passion. It felt personal. You were entranced by it. The dancers just, you were, I, I just wanted to go through the screen and applaud and see the smile on the dancers faces when it ended <laughs> yeah anyways um so talking about vidf i would like to say definitely look at the vidf is by the way i don't know if i mentioned this vancouver international dance festival so vidf has um live streams and you should definitely check them out. So Kokoro Dance's live streams ended. But they have Vancouver-based Fake Knot. And their first live stream is tomorrow. And it goes on until the 3rd. And then after that, from October 21st to October 24th, they have, again, Vancouver-based Farouche. And I am personally watching Farouche. And I'm also watching, um, I don't know how to pronounce this, I'm not gonna lie to you, Hinky Punk. <laughs> um, I guess it's how it's pronounced. Um, but, <laughs> I don't, God, I am a mess. <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. 
we're fine, we're okay. But yeah, um, I will be posting about the IDF on our social media. So look out for that. I will, I will have more reviews about VIDF. Um, but yeah, definitely check it out. Also, something important to mention is that VIDF live streams are by donation. So you could watch an amazing dance piece for $1, $2, $5, or $100 if you're feeling generous. It's all up to you. Okay, so my next shout out is for the Vancouver Improv Festival. So the Vancouver Improv Festival, I don't know why it's so difficult for me to pronounce that. Anyways, they have, um, they have an amazing lineup and they have workshops. So if improv is something you're interested in, you could definitely join these workshops. They're starting tomorrow and they're going on until October 4th, which is amazing. So, oh, by tomorrow. Okay, I'm, I'm recording this technically yesterday for when you're listening this i'm recording this on tuesday so by tomorrow i mean today which is september 30th <laughs> so the workshops are starting today running until october 4th yes <laughs> oh wow anyways yeah um they have they are featuring fork lords and uh, who is taking inspiration from indigenous oral tradition Russian Chekhovian character drama and the third genre of the audience is choosing to create spontaneous and hilarious shows that center cultural storytelling practice and they have a one-time performance of Ben Gorodetsky and Todd Hausman um yeah so check out the Vancouver Improv Festival this performance is, I think, on October 2nd, Friday, so you can buy your tickets online. And yeah, also, don't forget the workshops. Anyways, we're gonna go on a quick ad and PSA break, and I will be right back. Without the help and support of our friends, we here at CITR wouldn't be able to bring you all the great music, art, cinema, and culture that you love. Thanks to the long-standing support from the Rio Theatre, we are able to keep you informed on all the great artists, films, and everything else coming to town there. For all the current information about who and what's playing at the Rio Theatre, visit their website at www.riotheatre.ca. In context of Vancouver's opioid crisis, CITR would like to take a moment to share some harm reduction strategies. Try not to do drugs alone. When going out, let friends know what drugs you're taking and make sure someone has an unlocked kit. If you're able to, get your drugs tested before taking them. Avoid mixing opioids with alcohol or stimulants. Remember that opioids can include painkillers prescribed by a doctor, and it's possible for any drugs to be contaminated with opioids. Learn the signs of opioid overdose, which include, but are not limited to, unresponsiveness or unconsciousness, inability to speak, breathing that is slow, erratic, or has stopped completely, heartbeat that is slow, erratic, or has stopped completely, skin tone that has turned blue or gray, choking or gurgling sounds. If you think someone is overdosing, call 911 immediately. Start rescue breathing and administer naloxone if you have it. You cannot get in trouble for being on drugs, so always call 911 in an emergency. 
For more information about naloxone kits and training, visit TowardTheHeart.com. Thank you and stay safe. Hello, hello. I am back. Um, I just want to say about the opioid crisis that it is very important. I keep putting this PSA because I, opioid, the opioid crisis is bigger than we think. Um, there were more deaths by opioid overdose than COVID in Vancouver. I think in July or June, I want to say. You can fact check that. Um, don't quote me on that. But I am sure that there were more deaths by opioid overdose than by COVID, which is crazy considering that we are going through a pandemic right now. Um, but yeah, anyways, okay. I will continue by giving some shout outs because I want you to know about these things that are happening in Vancouver that I might not be able to cover. Um, so I still want you to know because it might be interesting for you and I will be starting with the one that you might actually already know about, which is the Vancouver International Film Festival. VIF already started. I am a little late on that. It started on the 24th, if I'm not mistaken. Um, last year, we did some reviews about the movies and VIF, but this year that is unfortunately not happening because we have, um, we're covering other stuff. Um, so I just still wanted to mention VIF. So, um, what's different than last year? Well, first of all, um, everything's live. Not everything. They do have in-person screenings in the Van City Theater and the, the Real Tech, I want to say. I'm not 100% sure on that. Let me check real quick. But as I check that, um, so... What you can do is basically you can either buy a pass or you could also just buy a ticket for the movie that you want to watch. If you want to watch one movie, a pass doesn't really make sense, right? Um, but yeah, so... Oh, why did I say real tech? Wow, it's the Cinematech. Okay, I just checked. So they have in-person screenings in the Cinematech and Vansity Theater. Um, they have screenings today... Uh, at, right after this show finishes at 6 p.m. And yeah, a lot of tickets are sold out. So I, if I were you, I would check them out real quick. They have another one screening at 8.45 p.m. They have some on Thursday, like October 1st. Yeah, just go to VIF's website, which is viff.org. And then you will find all of this information. And also, I want to mention that if you don't go to the in-person screenings and you prefer to stay at home, which is what you should do, not gonna lie, don't go out, there's a pandemic. Um, and if you're gonna go out, wear your masks. But uh, if you're gonna watch it from home, you can do that until October 7th midnight. So you have so much time to watch so many movies. And one of these movies could be Brother I Cry by Jesse Anthony with whom I just had an interview that was in the beginning of this um, this show, today's show. So if you're just tuning in right now and you want to listen to this amazing interview, you could definitely go to CITR's website, check out Arts Report, uh, because we 
podcast all of our episodes so this episode is going to be there too after the show ends um but yeah (laughs) anyways let's move on shall we so my next shout out is for crazy eights so you might be wondering hey what is crazy eights well i'll tell you crazy eights is a film society that has a um it's basically a eight day filmmaking challenge in vancouver and i want to mention crazy eights because um submissions are now open until october 28th you have a lot of time to submit which is amazing um so if you're a filmmaker i would i i would say apply why not what is there to lose worst case scenario you don't get picked (laughs) see yes perfect way to look at it but yeah so what's great is that crazy eights is still um trying to find foster and incubate bc talent so how this process goes is that if you're an applicant let's say you apply to the program online by submitting a three video three minute video pitch not three videos no a three minute video pitch um so and then there's a jury the jury chooses 12 finalists and if you're one of the 12 finalists you get paired with a professional story editor to craft your script and based on the strength of the finished script six of those 12 finalists will be chosen and the top six projects do receive a thousand dollars in cash amazing and they they receive a production package worth over fifty thousand dollars which is almost everything that you need to make your film in just eight crazy days um this is for early 2021 so this is not oops i am sorry this is not happening at the end of this year it's happening in the beginning of next year which is crazy considering we're already well like september is almost done and so anyways yeah check out crazy eights um if you're an aspiring filmmaker even if you're not just look at it (laughs) anyways so the next thing that i want to talk about is a art piece an art installation that is coming back to um vancouver bnl i'm not sure if i'm actually pronouncing that word right so um sorry about that but basically um this beautiful day that's what the art piece is called this beautiful day is permanently returning to squamish um so <sighs> Okay, let's go. I'm so sorry. I told you I... Wow, today's not my good day. Some people have good days. Some people have bad days. This is definitely one of those bad days. It's not my best day. I know. But I'm trying. <laughs> Anyways. um, Inspired by the Squamish Nation's oral traditions and an acknowledgement expressed at the beginning of public gatherings, This beautiful day bridges the divide between languages, cultures, and the land. Serving as a reminder of sustainable practices and stewardship of the land, Meg Ivor says the piece was influenced by time she spent with the Squamish Nation artist um, Alice Gus. I am not going to try and pronounce the both the name of like the this beautiful day and of Alice Gus that is in you know 
their um, original name because I cannot do that and I do not want to butcher it. Also, <laughs> wow, I am dumb. I also did not mention that This Beautiful Day is by Kristen McIver. Um, so Kristen McIver is an Australian-born, New York-based artist. Um, and This Beautiful Day was created in 2015 as part of the 2014-2016 Vancouver Biennale International Artist Residency Program. So five years later, this amazing art piece is um coming back to coming back to Vancouver and the Vancouver BNL. And so definitely, definitely check it out. Um it's very cool because apparently in May 2020, uh McIver exhibited a digital vi- version of the artwork as part of an exhibition in Times Square. Um, which was at the height of the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter movement in New York. So um, that sounds very cool. But yeah, so if you're in Squamish, I would say definitely check this out because it sounds really, really amazing. Um, But yeah, so, oh, I also should mention... (laughs) what this is okay this beautiful day is a 26 foot long solar powered neon like art piece so it is big it is bold it is amazing um but yeah it's joining the other artworks in squamish so yes that is all i shall move on to our next shout out which is for the polygon polygon the polygon poly Hmm. You know what? Words are difficult. Um Yeah. Anyways, the polygon the po- <laughs> Wow. The Polygon Gallery? I think it's pronounced Polygon, right? So, the Polygon Gallery is in North Vancouver. So, if you want to take if you're live in Vancouver and want to take a trip up to North Vancouver, this is definitely worth going to. Um it's open Wednesday to Sunday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And then Thursdays, they're open late until 8 p.m., which is pretty cool, if I do say so myself. Um, but yeah, so what was I talking about? <laughs> there are third realm tours every Saturday at the Polygon Gallery, so if you don't um they have so basically they have weekly gallery tours um these are every saturday at 2 p.m and they give you a unique insight into third realm in a physically distant matter of course because social distancing is important the tours take around 45 minutes you don't need to rsvp but they are first come first served and space is limited so if you wanna go check this out um with a tour, you can definitely go there. I I would say like this Saturday, go do it. Why not at two p.m. So go there before anyone else get that spot. Yeah. Okay. Something else about the Polygon Gallery that I want to talk about is they have this video of installing this art piece by him and chong um in third realm um which 
see you can see this if you take the tour on Saturday that's fun so um I'm just gonna read this off of the the thing if that's okay with you so monument to the people we've conveniently forgotten brackets I hate you by Singapore artist Heman Chong consists of one million business cards scattered on the floor in third realm and see this is one million business cards and they have this video of them installing these one million business cards which is honestly mesmerizing because I don't think I could ever have the the patience to put down I don't know like a hundred business cards let alone one million so if this sounds interesting to you which it does to me you should go check out the polygon gallery um and honestly you don't have to take a tour if you don't want to tours aren't for everyone but what's great about tours is that they give you insight that you might not get while you're you're perusing the the gallery by yourself you know but yeah anyways <laughs> so um before i end the show I just want to say thank you to everyone for staying with us and for, you know, listening to our show. It is very important to us. Um, we have some new correspondents this year. I mean, they're not in the show because this is the first show and I did everything, <laughs> but they will be on the upcoming shows. Also, um... Normally, our shows are every Wednesday from 5 to 6, but due to COVID and um, events being canceled or delayed, as I said in the beginning, we don't have as much to report on, and things are starting to pick up again. That's why we started. As I said, this is all repetition of what I said. I'm so sorry. But... um even though things are starting back up again it's not as much as there used to be which is why currently we've decided to do the shows bi-weekly instead of weekly so our next show isn't going to be on um, October 7th but instead October 14th um, but this is not going to be like this forever because we love reporting we love doing this and um we just want to get there as much as we can so if things you know i keep using the word pickup but if there are more things that um start back up again we will be going back to our normally scheduled weekly shows so um keep an eye out for that but yeah um also what else do I want to mention to you? I, I'm aware that this show is a mess. Not this show in general. This specific one. Um, but it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I will be posting on our social media. We are Art Support CITR on Instagram. CITR underscore Arts Report on Twitter. And you can find us on Facebook, too. I post everything on there, too. It's CITR Arts Report 
101.9 FM or Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. I feel like if you were to just search up Arts Report or CITR Arts Report, we will show up. So that's pretty cool. And also, um, as I was talking about the new correspondence, if you are interested in joining us and reporting on the local arts, you definitely can do that. Just give us an email. We You can send us an email at arts at citr.ca. It's very easy, arts at citr.ca. So if you are interested, um, definitely let me know and we'll talk about it and we'll see if you are if you want to join us or not but yeah i can't wait for you to hear our upcoming shows we've definitely been planning and i'm just excited to have new people to work with because it means that we get to introduce the local arts to more people and that's what the arts arts report is all about. But yeah, anyways, so <laughs> it has not been a full hour, but we're very close. Three minutes early is not early. So I'm just going to end the show right here. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to talk to me about Kokora Dance or Breaking the Bones, shoot me a dm on instagram or twitter or just you know tweet us because i would love to talk about it um i wish i could talk more about it but there was just so much to mention on the show (laughs) anyways yeah um i'll see you guys not next week but the week after that on october 14th take care